Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Robert Myers. Robert is with One Identity, and we're going to take a kind of a deep dive into some compliance slash data privacy slash data issues that we really haven't explored enough on this podcast. So, Robert, first of all, welcome and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you very much. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? So I work for a company called One Identity. They provide identity security software as well as log management software. But through the years, I've done GDPR auditing. I've done training on that. I've done a lot of auditing for different privacy regulations, as well as setting up companies to be able to support them. Heavy in education and and healthcare. So most of my audience has a multinational component. So they work for companies that have business outside the United States, and that means largely Europe. So they are very interested in GDPR, but they're also interested in, obviously, the California Privacy Rights Act and, and where all this may be going for the U.S. corporate practitioner. So I was wondering if I might start with asking you about your role at One Identity and really expand a little bit about what Identity provides to its customer base. So there's kind of a forgotten concept. A lot of people think that privacy laws only impact and are worried about consumers. Well, what is a consumer? The fact of the matter is that for most companies, they forget about their employees because those are people too. That's going to be impacted by GDPR. That gets impacted by CCPA currently. CPRA is really moving in that direction in 2023. The idea is that I come in and I help talk about and explain where they can fit identity protections for their own employees as well as help them with their logging systems to make sure you stop sending sensitive information into whatever log store you're using. A a log is a little bit of data that gets recorded every time an application does something. The problem is that it's not uncommon to find social security numbers, personal addresses, all sorts of things that shouldn't be shared under any privacy standard literally sitting in the logs. And People forget that those are very open. So that's a very easy area to breach. With One Identity, we help secure that. We also help with privilege access management. So I talk about privilege access management. Talk about how you can only breach data that you have access to. If you don't get access to it, you can't breach it. You can't allow someone to take your credentials and steal it. So we protect you from those areas, as well as actually defining where people should have access. So when I go and talk to people, I work in a little bit different role. I work as a consultant for our partners, as well as answering questions and helping people when they have privacy or compliance questions that come to our company. So does the message about the employee base, the employee data base, and the personal information of employees, does that resonate or do you really have to educate corporations in the United States around that issue? You absolutely have to educate. Actually, you have to educate in Europe as well. There are a lot of people who see it, but there are still companies like, I had one company tell me once, they said, well, it'd be bad optics if we were enforced against. (laughs) (laughs) That's like in, uh, so in the anti-corruption world, 
I often have the same conversation. What's your biggest risk? Well, it's it's some rogue employee will be pay a bribe. I said, what's the key phrase in that? Employee. <laughs> your biggest risk are your employees. And I don't know if maybe you're right. They're just uh, reluctant to think about their employees that way. But in my mind, it's risk management. And it's it is. a potential risk. And then someone like you would come in from the data privacy, data protection side, assess that risk, and then propose one or more risk mitigation strategies. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely. The fact of the matter is people do not realize what they need to be doing until they start really actually doing it. I mean, honestly, the the thing that people usually forget is that data itself should have a life cycle. So they just pile up information over and over and over. In IT, we were always taught, never delete every, anything. Keep copies of everything. It may be needed. That's really a bad idea. Just throwing that out there. I talk to a lot of data privacy and data protection specialists in Europe, and that is one message they say they have to continually echo to corporations, which is, first of all, data management governance, but also data discipline. And yes. to have discipline to remove data at an appropriate time, it sounds like that's a message that you have to uh, also reiterate often. I do. Additionally, I need to get people to understand that you're going to be under regulations in almost any industry. So everyone thinks, oh, I'm under this or I'm not under that or I'm not under that. Well, you go to a, a teaching school that is also a medical facility. So medical facility, you have HIPAA. That's normal, right? You have FERPA for education. Oh, but I have European patients. Now I'm under GDPR. I have Brazilian patients. I'm under SGPD. And the list goes on and on and on. And people need to go back to basics and, and really learn that there are standard concepts behind privacy. If you follow them, you're already the 90% mark. Beyond that, you now focus in on the actual policies, the actual government's requirements. In the other types of compliance spaces, there's always a debate on who owns compliance. Is it the business unit who owns compliance on the front line who has to implement it? Is it the compliance function? Is it maybe somewhere in between? How do you see who owns data privacy, data protection? Honestly, it has to be integrated in operations. If you're not going to be dealing with it in operations on your day-to-day basis, you're not dealing with it. That means that your CISO is going to have part of it. Your CIO is going to have part of it. Your uh, CFO will have part of it. But honestly, I think the chief operating officer usually has to own it. And then how do you take not that ownership, but the risk management strategies? And how do you get the business unit to buy in on those, particularly those on the front lines? The problem with getting people to buy in is it goes back to that old acronym, FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Will I be impacted by this? And to be blunt, we did a terrible job in the U.S. for HIPAA. There have not been enough enforcement activities. I've worked in enough organizations doing auditing to say, no, you really need to be enforcing this law. And GDPR, honestly, is very, very backlogged. So people don't realize that enforcements are coming, but they don't even start happening for 90 days after they're turned in, if they get enforced at all. You have to talk about that and talk about how they're going to be ramping up. For example, CPRA, you're only getting $5 million to start that organization for enforcement, but that's going to grow. And people need to understand that will grow and that will grow rapidly. 
because in California, this is a huge deal. It is in the rest of the world as well. Let me pick up on that point because almost every data privacy, data protection specialist and a lot of laymen I talk to bemoan the fact that we cannot get a national data protection, data privacy law out of our Congress. And that we have certainly have California leading the way, but potentially we have multiple other state actors who may enact their own laws. And so there may be, you know, quilt covering of laws across the country. Do you see any chance that we could get something at a national level or is it just people like you and me and others in your profession talking about it and wishing for it? It's definitely a concern. I mean, Washington's failed to pass theirs twice. We're going, we have little pieces going here and there. The reality is I think that California is going to lead the way. It led the way for HIPAA, hopefully will lead the way for data privacy in the U.S., but never forget that the FTC actually owns privacy in the U.S. and periodically does enforce, which is really kind of interesting because they're very vague on their rules, which has bit them a little bit in some of the court cases, but they actually do enforce. The problem is they only enforce like a sledgehammer. They come in and devastate a business. For example, Facebook, oh, we'd like to talk about their multi-billion dollar fine. That is not the, the headline you want for your business, but that's how they work. They're very massive impact. Since the CPRA is really leading the government level discussion at the U.S., let me ask you a few questions about that. What should businesses expect to happen around data privacy between now and 2023 uh, regarding CPRA? Well, that's an interesting one because you really are supposed to be doing a risk assessment. It's something we've never requested in the U.S. before, and theirs are supposed to be done by the 20, 2022. It's very different than what we're used to. It reinforces the SIS-20 or SANS-20, however you want to refer to them. They get referred to as both ways, as the minimum standard. Are you familiar with the SIS-20? I've heard of it, but that's my familiarity is listening to people like yourself tell me that. So the SIS-20 or SANS-20, you can look them up online. These are the minimum standards for security for IT in California. But they include things like multi-factor authentication, identity and access management, log management, all those things that people say, oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. No, those are literally requirements now. And some of those jobs for larger companies can take over a year to implement. So let me pick up on what you started with, which is a risk assessment. In almost every other compliance discipline, your compliance program starts with a risk assessment because you don't know what your risks are until you assess them and you can't move forward to manage those. Is there really just a lack of risk assessment awareness from corporate America in data privacy, data protection? So when I was going as more in the audit and consulting realm, It was not uncommon to find companies that had no risk matrix, none. When they talked risk, it was very large overarching. No concept of let's finite define this risk versus that risk. What will be the cost to the business? That wasn't covered. When a company doesn't have a risk matrix, you have to step back and say, have they ever had an assessment? And you go out and you find companies that they talk SOC to, they talk things like that but they've never actually done them. I remember working for um, a company while it was having a JSOX assessment and supporting them through that. But it was rather interesting because even the auditors were coming in with odd requests, like, I need administrative access to all your systems. Well, that's kind of going against the entire concept. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I literally told them, no, 
<laughs> yeah, that's like the auditing firm that asks for the uh, personal identifiable details of all employees so that they can verify they work there. No, no. <laughs> oh, and we want to take it off site. So, um, uh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> Well, let me ask, are there any loopholes in the CPRA that businesses need to be aware of and going forward? So here's the thing about the CPRA. Just like the CCPA, a lot of how it's going to be enforced and a lot of the definitions have not been defined. So it actually requires additional legislation as well as definitions of the standards for enforcement to come from the Department of Justice. So it's going to be pieces that are not there that are going to catch you. Outside of that, you need to be ready for your risk assessment. If you haven't done a risk assessment, if you haven't implemented the SIS-20, that's your problem. That's where you have to start. The SIS-20 includes a lot of technologies that people do not think when they think privacy. They're thinking privacy for the consumer, but they're not realizing that access to that consumer data, a breach, is quite often internal, not external. In fact, what is it, 80% of breaches are because of somebody did it internally by having a password that they shouldn't or had hacked in, gone it some way. But, well, that's what people say. But the reality is I've been in organizations where any user can pull up an address list that had personal data. For example, I went to a company that had every employee's home address in their active directory. This is a problem. That's not data that anybody should be able to go. An administrator has no need of that data. That, by definition, is a breach. When you have a major virus outbreak, that's a breach. Ransomware, people don't think of it as a breach. It's a breach. So will the CCPA and the CPRA be administered by the same uh, state agency in California, or will they have different agencies? The CPRA is more replacing and editing the CCPA. It's going to be moving to a specialized organization that will only enforce it. The argument initially on the CCPA is that no one was going to be enforcing it. Now, with the CPRA, they're expanding out private right of action. That's going to get interesting and very expensive for businesses very fast. Do you anticipate there being anything along the lines of the uh, GDPR of the uh, data access request? information or the right to be forgotten at some point? It's more the right for rectification that's going to be a big deal here. People are going to want to edit their information. Currently, for example, it's very hard to edit, I'll give a perfect example, your financial information, your history with things like Equifax and whatnot. And I don't know about you, but I've ran into that. I've had to remove things and taken almost a year to get off things before. And all of a sudden, that's going to be a lot more stringent, something people are going to have to look into very rapidly. Where I think we're going to have some really impacts is a request for not automated processing. I want to have a human intervention. That's something the CCPRA CPRA brings into the options for a lot of people. Think about getting a home loan. Yeah. Can you expand that out a little bit? And what, what is a human intervention in this context? Well, a lot of things are completely done on the data right? Well, what if you say the data doesn't show me? I want a human to look at the data and and talk to me and say, am I going to be approved or disapproved? That changes the story a little bit, but it also puts a lot more effort into events where that's occurring. So that's going to get expensive. Now, additionally, we will see 
some significant impact for companies trying to be more, or where people are trying to punish companies with that access requests. We see that with GDPR every day. Right. And now that you have beyond 12 month look back, that will be rather interesting. Granted, this time they're releasing a law where they're going to plan the implementation, whereas CCPA came in and everybody said, hey, it's starting on the first. Okay, so I only have to keep data for the first. No, there's 12 months look back. Wait, what? 12 months? So I have to be able to tell people from 12 months before it was implemented? That's technically how the law is written, yes. (laughs) Do you see any hope, if not reconciliation or conciliation, some meeting maybe in the mid-Atlantic between GDPR and U.S. national uh, data protection legislation that would, would give companies some comfort that we used to have under Privacy Shield or Safe Harbor? To be blunt, I was never a believer in Privacy Shield. For me, you had to go back to the standardized agreements. The standard clauses had to be there. If they weren't there, it was going to fail. The problem there isn't so much getting legislation, getting between the two. Europe is putting a stronger impact on the U.S. for not being European than they do on themselves. So the fact of the matter is there are parts of the EU where the regulation standards that they're using to hold against the U.S., they would not stand up against themselves. It's rather interesting if you have a national security agency, if you have any secret, anything when it comes to activity on that area where someone cannot be represented, then you will not qualify. The real question is going to be how does GDPR impact it? in the UK. Because with that split, they're no longer European. They're now the UK. So that is actually going to show us what direction we'll go in the future. If they can come to an agreement, then we can come to an agreement. Robert, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if any of our listeners wanted any additional information on any of your topics or indeed on One Identity, where could they go? Oneidentity.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. Robert, I really wanted to thank you. This has been a fascinating exploration. Uh, We went a little bit off script, but I had a lot of fun and I certainly learned a lot. I had fun as well. Thank you, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.